Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have... Hi, my name's Alan Noble. I'm the founder of OzOcean. OzOcean is a not-for-profit environmental organisation with a difference. We're more like a tech startup in that we look at ways that we can apply or develop technology to solve ocean problems with a particular focus on technology uh, for ocean monitoring. Uh, there's a huge lack of information about our ocean ecosystems and technology is a fantastic way we can achieve a lot more scale and get more information for less. So that's really what OzOcean is all about. We partner with other environmental nonprofits and try to help them solve their problems through leveraging technology. I'm also the former engineering director of Google Australia. When would you say you first got involved in the Australian startup ecosystem? Yeah, I first got involved in February 2002. Uh, a few months earlier, I decided to return to Australia after spending 16 years uh, living in Northern California and working in Silicon Valley that whole time. Uh, came back to Australia on a scouting trip uh, in February, and it just so happened that the World Congress on Information Technology was being hosted in my home city, Adelaide. I thought, well, that's a great uh, opportunity to kind of you know scout out what's happening in terms of tech startups. And I have to say, I was really, really disappointed. There were so few tech startups on the ground. And I thought, well, it's probably just Adelaide. There probably aren't many tech startups around. Turns out it wasn't just Adelaide. It was all of Australia. But Sorry, what year was that? 2002. 2002, right. Yeah. Yep. So this is the same year that uh, Atlassian found, a little bit later on that year. There, there were very, very few, there were very few uh, tech startups kind of in that kind of early, uh, what I, you know, kind of interesting growth phase. There were a few, I guess, scale-ups from the previous 
I guess, uh, you know, era that were, you know, companies like Seek. But uh, I was really interested in joining an early stage startup. And I found a couple in Adelaide. And the one I settled on was a company called Four Sticks. Can you comment on, you know, coming from Silicon Valley in 2002 into the Australian ecosystem, which wasn't really, I suppose it didn't really exist at all. Can, yeah, can you just kind of give us a bit of a comparison between like the, the differences between the two ecosystems at that point in time? Sure, if you kind of go back to 2002, I'll start with Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley had just gone through the dot-com boom and bust. But Silicon Valley is remarkably resilient, even though it was, it was still in that kind of bust phase, it was clear there were companies that were were doing well, and Google being one of them, which actually started during the downturn in Silicon Valley. In contrast, Australia, there, were, there was very little startup activity, and I struggled even to find you know, a handful of interesting companies that I was uh, wanted to get involved in. I'd been, I'd been in startups for up until then. That's my first startup that I actually co-founded was back in 96. Uh, before then, I'd done some uh, work uh, for some other startups, a company called Pure Software. Coincidentally, that was founded uh, by Reed Hastings who went on to create Netflix a few years later. Back in Australia, there, it wasn't just there was a, a, a lack of uh, startups. The whole ecosystem was, was lacking. Uh, there weren't many venture capitalists on the ground and the venture capitalists that were on the ground, uh, and this is going to sound a little bit harsh, they weren't very sophisticated by Silicon Valley standards. I mean, I'd, I'd been through several fundraising rounds in Silicon Valley. I kind of knew how it worked in Silicon Valley and I came back to Australia and I had to, I was shocked uh, at how kind of um, hard it was to fundraise in Australia. And a, a lot of the terms were also, honestly, back then quite onerous. A lot of the VCs back in, you know, 2002 they, they kind of functioned a bit more like vulture capitalists than venture capitalists. They were, the terms they would kind of put before you were quite hideous. In fact, there was, a, there was something I, you know, that uh, back, in, back in the heyday of Silicon Valley, I'm, I'm, you know, probably back in the 90s, was referred to as the capital cram where VCs would kind of try to cram as much capital into a startup as possible with the goal of actually gaining control. And they were still doing that back in 2002 and probably even well into the 2010s in Australia, but that practice was long gone because it's a very, very entrepreneur-unfriendly policy to kind of attempt to take control of a company. So basically, uh, yeah, the whole ecosystem was, in a nutshell, embryonic, uh, dare I say, you know, lacked maturity. It was really only with the evolution of startups like Blackbird VC, like decades later, that we started to see, you know, you know entrepreneur friendly VCs. But it wasn't just the VCs, it was the whole ecosystem, you know, trying to get people, not just trying to find, uh, you know, the, the technical talents that you needed. You could typically find engineers, you could hire software engineers and comp sci graduates. You couldn't hire a UX designer to save yourself. You'd really struggle to hire a product manager. So a lot of the other functions that we now take for granted that are essential to building a tech startup were really lacking. Even finding people uh, to kind of provide guidance and sit on your boards was people that had real contributions they could make was, was quite challenging. So it was, a very, uh, it was a very immature ecosystem only, you know, 19 years ago. I want to ask you in a second, that, like what changed between, in your opinion, changed between 2002 and 2011, 12 um, you know, that, that decade there, what, what changed to really kick things into gear? But before, 
the 2002 when you were just you were talking about the <laughs> i love vol- the vulture capitalists phrase why was that flying like why was that the kind of practice at that time yeah i think the charitable explanation would be that the vcs at the time didn't yet appreciate that their purpose was to enable the entrepreneurs to be successful it was first and foremost it wasn't about uh controlling uh companies and i think it took it really literally took a new breed of uh venture capitalists to kind of say hey we're going to get much better outcomes if we're there kind of backing the entrepreneurs it might mean we're taking a slightly smaller cut up front but guess what we're going to make that pie big (laughs) uh so even though we have a smaller slice there's, there's you know the thing is Entrepreneurs have to have skin in the game. And, you know, if they end up with, you know, so little equity that their, you know, their stake in the business becomes, you know, unexciting to them, well, you know, they'll do other things. So, so I think there was probably just a gradual awareness that practices need to change. Uh, and it took a few years for that to soak in. I think there probably were more people returning from overseas that were kind of starting to bring in some of that overseas experience through osmosis. There's a few structural things that might have happened along the way. I like to talk about, so after that um, foray into four sticks, which lasted a couple of years, unfortunately, they, they didn't survive. But that, that was a classic, for me, it was a learning experience. I kind of did a bit of a post-mortem and I realized well, why. And, and part of it was that the support that entrepreneurs needed was lacking. It wasn't entirely the fault of the company, although there were business decisions that were, in retrospect, poor. So four sticks did make some poor business decisions but the big takeaway message for me was less about the individual choices the company's founders and board made, uh, but what was missing in the Australian tech startup ecosystem at the time. A few years later, when I joined Google, I had the opportunity to convene a roundtable of 50 or so stakeholders in the startup ecosystem, mostly um, entrepreneurs, but also um, some policymakers as well and some service providers. And we asked ourselves the question, what do we think was the most pressing need for startups in Australia? And we reached the conclusion that it was really a lack of awareness, first and foremost. And that led to the decision to found a nonprofit called Startup Oz. Startup Oz, yeah, can you tell me more about that? Because I, I know that recently it has kind of morphed is that the right term into yeah. uh, the Tech Council of Australia? But but the Startup Oz has done a lot in the advocacy space. Like what, what was the main mission of that and, and kind of what did it look like in the beginning of getting that up and running? Yes, so Startup Oz, uh, we realized that there were a few key or pressing issues that we needed to tackle fairly urgently. First, we needed to dramatically improve policymakers' awareness of tech startups and the value that tech startups could bring to the Australian economy. If you spoke with bureaucrats back then, they really had precious few ideas about what a tech startup was. So we need to change that and make sure that Treasury and other departments were on board and supporting tech startups with with good policies. Uh, We also needed to make sure that we we got the settings right for talent and making sure, and that also related to policy, of course, too. So initially, we focused on uh, working with policymakers to firstly get 
um, the settings right to make it easy for startups to attract talent and, and bring entrepreneurial talent into Australia and also get the settings right for incentive stock options or compensation, um, which at the time was quite onerous. So that, that was the initial focus. But really the backdrop was essentially making sure that folks in Canberra and elsewhere understood the value that tech startups could bring to the Australian economy. And obviously we've seen a real groundswell in awareness in the, in the decades since, but you know, going back to the formation of Startup Oz, that was very, very nascent back then. You mentioned you know, talent and how important that was for the ecosystem at the time. Can we uh, rewind the clock a little bit and go back to 2010? Because mm. I'd love to get your view and you know, share your, the story here around Google Wave because you know, we've brought that up in an email exchange. You, you told me about sure. your, your years at Google Wave and how it didn't work out, but that unleashed you know, all this talent into the ecosystem. Yeah, that's a great question. So well, I'll go back to 2007, which is when I joined Google. Uh, so I was hired by Google to grow or, or grow their R&D presence in Australia to run the R&D center in Sydney. And uh, I got to know a lot of the uh, players in the Aussie startup ecosystem back then. Obviously, Mike and Scott over at uh, Atlassian and Mel and Canva over at Canva and, and, and many of the VCs such as Bill Barty. But also um, my, my main role, of course, was, um, was essentially engineering um, recruitment. Uh, I was given the task of essentially growing the engineering center from 20 engineers to 150 engineers in three years. Well, I didn't stop there. I kept hiring and growing the center. We ended up, by the time I finally moved on from Google in 2018, there were over 650 engineers working for Google in Australia. Now, along the way, a few interesting things happened. Uh, shortly after I joined in 2007, Lars and, uh, Lars and Jens Rasmussen set about to build Google Wave. And that became a huge focus for the engineering center, Google's engineering center in Sydney. In fact, about 50% of the engineers uh, that Google employed in Sydney worked on Google Wave, reaching about 55 at its peak. So Google Wave was released uh, in May 2009 at Google I.O. that year, amid a flurry of excitement and activity. Unfortunately, although the product was incredibly innovative, and, I, and, and probably for your listeners, I should explain what Google Wave is actually. So essentially, Google Wave was an, a really, really bold attempt to reimagine workplace collaboration and communication. You can kind of think of it as email meets instant messaging meets Google Docs, all kind of integrated together. That's probably not doing it justice. And it had a very innovative UI to kind of pull that off. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't really achieve the traction with consumers that Google had hoped for. My personal view was that Google Wave would have been an excellent enterprise product because it really was a great way for workplaces to collaborate. But the Wave team weren't focused on the enterprise at the time. They were focused on consumers, which was a big part of Google's focus. So again, no criticism. It was just, well, do we go after consumers or do we go after the enterprise? Obviously, you want both. It was a bit of a disappointment, unfortunately, and, and Google canceled the product, you know, barely a year later. It was August 20, 2010. Now, that was a very hard decision for Google, but it turned out it had very great unintended consequences 
for the Aussie tech startup ecosystem because it unleashed a flood of tech talent onto the local ecosystem. Because the, the kinds of engineers that had been attracted to work on Google Wave tended to be the engineers that were perhaps a bit less risk averse, a bit more inclined to work on something a bit radically different. And, and so many of those engineers, when they found themselves no longer working on Wave, they started chomping at the bit and thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should be looking at startups instead. It didn't happen overnight, but it, it certainly has happened. And in the intervening years, we've seen dozens, if not possibly now in, in the low hundreds of former Google Australian engineers essentially go out into dozens of Aussie startups. Perhaps the most famous example would be Canva's Cameron Adams. I was, I'm so happy you mentioned that because I interviewed Cameron a few weeks ago and he told part, part of this story that you're telling now. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting to see those two worlds overlap. Yes, and, and of course, Cameron was the lead uh, UI designer for Google Wave. So he was really the, I guess, the UI architect for that product. So the experience, I think, he acquired at Google was very, very important uh, when he you know, moved over to Canva. But there were many, many, many other senior engineers, including um, their CTO, David Herndon, was on Google Wave. Adam Shook was on Google Wave. David Wang. And to name a few, it's hard for me to keep track, but there probably are a couple of dozen Google engineers and product folks over at Canva alone, of course. And there are others who have gone to other companies. There's many at Atlassian and and, uh, smaller startups as well. So Google Wave may well go down in history as like... um, Australia's like you know mini Fairchild Semiconductor in that that company Fairchild Semi is often considered to be kind of the uh, the grandfather company of Silicon Valley because it was the first you know semiconductor company in the valley and Fairchild then essentially the engineers for Fairchild went on to uh, create companies such as Intel and AMD and of course the dozens of other tech companies that followed so perhaps Google and Wave you know in the fullness of time. You know, historians might say, yep, that was a really instrumental event in, in uh, Australia's ecosystem. Time will tell. It's certainly been quite apparent that the, uh, the talent has benefited Australia's startups immensely. Uh, although it was, you know, bad for Google in a sense, but it was, it was good for Australia. This part of the story is definitely going into the documentary. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Um, so what, what happened, in your opinion, you know, between those 2010 years and now to kind of like, what were some of the big, big movements that have really pushed the ecosystem forward in the last decade? Well, I would, uh, without a hint of modesty, I would point to March, 2013, which was uh, when we convened that first Startup Oz roundtable. So 2013 was at the start of that, you know, at the start of that decade, you know, honestly, I just thought, let's see what we can do if we can get a bunch of smart people in the room. You know, a bunch of entrepreneurs, a few, a few policy wonks, a few investors, and just see what needs to be done to kind of kickstart the startup ecosystem. So, but Startup Oz was really about influencing government attitudes, as I mentioned, and in particular working with Treasury and, uh, and immigration. So I would definitely, I definitely think the work that Startup Oz did on the policy side uh, did help facilitate uh, kind of got help help get the settings right for startups made it made it easy for startups to essentially reward their employees with incentive stock options because think about a startup startups uh, you know in the early days 
they're really competing for talent. Um, they can't compete with salary, so they really need um, other ways of incentivizing their um, early employees, and it's, that's why you know incentive stock options and in stock restricted stock units and such are so so important for startups. And so getting those getting those tax settings uh, right was was super important. I'm very proud of the work we did with immigration too and the new entrepreneurship visas, which made it a lot easier for uh, startups to bring in the talent they needed in the early days. Even though there was no shortage of engineers in Australia, it seems like Australia has always produced strong engineers ever since engineers existed, or even before we called engineers engineers. So there was no shortage of smart software engineers, computer science graduates. What we lacked were those other vital roles, you know, the user experience uh, and the uh, user interface designers, uh, the product managers. Those were job descriptions that weren't even considered real job descriptions back in 2013. So we worked hard to make sure that those jobs were known to immigration and were then uh, fast-tracked because startups were crying out for that, for those kinds of, uh, for that kind of talent, as indeed was Google. It's interesting. I was working for Google at the time, but I often found that I thought that we had, in terms of the, our needs, I thought we often had more in common with tech startups than we did with other multinationals in Australia. And the reason was, you know, Google was doing R&D in Australia. We weren't just some, you know, branch office doing sales and marketing like the vast majority of multinationals. We were actually trying to build uh, products in Australia. So we needed those product managers. We needed those UX and UI designers. So I think, yeah, the influx of talent was something that started to kick off in, the, in that decade that made a big difference. And I think there was probably just um, the other thing that I wasn't directly involved in, but you could see more universities thinking hard about entrepreneurship uh, and starting to produce graduates that were thinking, hmm, maybe instead of taking a job, I should be, you know, making a job. So that was happening about then too. Jumping forward to today for a minute, what... Um you know, a lot of great work had been done, you know, by Startup Oz from 2013. What what still needs to be done, in your opinion? Like, what are some of the gaps that, that are still in the ecosystem that we need to fill? Yeah, I think what's missing now, perhaps arguably, you know, the biggest issue is, it's not a single thing. It's, it's, it's a sense of urgency as a country that um, we need a vibrant tech ecosystem not just tech startup but tech ecosystem of course the fuel of of a tech ecosystem are tech startups and the fuel that fuels tech startups is innovation so i think we still have this bit of this attitude in australia oh she'll be right you know we've we've got incredible resources both renewable and non-renewable and we kind of have this tendency to kind of be a bit laid back about these matters, but I think we need to do what much, much more to kind of instill that sense of urgency that, you know, actually building this tech ecosystem is super important for Australia's future. And it's really about creating not just the jobs of the future, but the opportunities of the future. So we've made great progress for sure, uh, but we are by no means done. And that's, I think that explains why the Tech Council of Australia is so important to startup Oz essentially wound, I mean, wound itself down and has been replaced um, earlier this year by the Tech Council, which 
I'm, I'm, I'm excited about and will hopefully drive that mission forward. Just out of curiosity, like, what's the difference in objective or mandate or, or, or makeup between Startup Oz and, and the Tech Council? Yeah, it's actually quite a big difference, actually. So Startup Oz was it's almost like a startup itself in that it was very agile. We, we felt this overwhelming sense of urgency. We needed to get something up and running quickly. So we literally went around tapping people on the shoulders, you know, people that we thought could bring something and uh, kind of bootstrap the whole organization very, very quickly. We didn't go out saying we represent the tech startup ecosystem per se. We weren't a membership-based organization. So that's a a major point of difference. The Tech Council has structured itself as a membership-based organization. So tech companies are members and those members will have representation on the board. Startup Oz was, was much uh, more agile, much looser in a sense. We just basically roped in people that we thought could bring value and bring value quickly because we wanted to move quickly. I always had the vision that Startup Oz would essentially have a planned obsolescence. I always thought, gee, if we're successful, Startup Oz should one day go away because we won't, we won't be needed anymore. We won't need to be promoting tech startups. That's partially true in the sense that we believe now Um, The focus should be on the tech ecosystem as a whole, not just startups, which is why we could enlist much, much larger companies, scale-ups and larger companies such as Atlassian and Canva over to the Tech Council. Um, It was harder to attract those companies to tech to Startup Oz because they were already large scale-ups by the time Startup Oz came along. So it was, yeah, it was really, um, Startup Oz was an attempt to move very quickly and uh, hopefully get some runs on the board, which I believe we achieved. Tech Council has more structure, is a membership-based organization, and also, honestly, represents a much larger industry. And if you look at the the combined um, value of uh, the companies and the, um, that the Tech Council represents, it's, you know, it's, it's billions of dollars of contribution to the Australian economy and, and many jobs. What do you think we're doing really well? I think Australia has always done a good job in the innovation department. We are creative. We, we, produ- we can produce graduates that are able to solve difficult problems, solve problems that can you know, make a difference. I think the universities and the graduates, uh, by and large, uh, that, that's a plus for the Australian ecosystem. Uh, some would argue perhaps uh, commercialization is still not as strong as it needs to be. I do think that's probably improving. There seems to be much greater awareness on you know, sovereign capabilities now that's been brought upon by COVID. You know, there seems to be a, a new awareness that perhaps we should you know, be making things again uh, as a country. So I'm quite optimistic about that. I think um, we just have to you know, not let our guard down because it's a very competitive world in which we live. And uh, there are a lot of other smart people around the world, you know, doing innovative things. So I'd like to see us continue to invest heavily in, um, in the programs that have a proven track record. This is R&D, you know, tax incentive, uh, you know, commercialization, Australia programs that have been very, very important to startups in the past. I think I wanna, I'd, I'd love to see us continue to invest in those programs fully because they've been of proven value to Australia. So 
Yeah, I'm optimistic. I think we're moving in the right direction. You think about how far we've come in, in less than two decades, it's actually quite impressive. According to your LinkedIn, founding OzOcean overlapped with working as engin- the engineering director for Google Australia. Is that the case? And was that challenging, founding a startup while also working, I imagine, full-time? That's a great question. Yes, you're quite right. I overlapped. In fact, I started uh, OzOcean back in 2017. What made it work? I'd say two things made it work. One, uh, I was uh, working part-time at Google at the time, so that freed up some time. Uh, and secondly, Google was quite supportive. A lot of employers wouldn't let an employee go off and do something like that on the side. But OzOcean was not competitive with Google. It's probably one of the few things that isn't competitive with Google, so I was able to go off and start to spin up OzOcean. I only really spun up OzOcean in earnest, though, when I quit Google in 2018. So my message to you know entrepreneurs is it's really hard to be a part-time entrepreneur. I tried, uh, and I realized now if I'm going to focus, if I'm going to focus on OzOcean, I need to be doing it full time. And so eventually, I made that decision in 2018 to leave Google. It was a tough decision. By then, I'd been there 11 years. I expected I would stay at Google only three years. Uh, achieve that original goal of you know hiring 150 engineers, and then I would go on and do another startup. That's what I told. That's what I told myself. That's what I told my family. So I was uh, quite surprised that, that that three years stretched out to become 11 years. Uh, but Oz Ocean was the the thing that really made me really want to focus full time again on something different. And I've always had obviously a love of technology, which has drawn me to tech opportunities throughout my entire career. But I've also always had a love of the ocean. So Oz Ocean was a chance to kind of marry those two loves, my love of tech and my love of our oceans and see how we could, you know, use tech for the good of our oceans. I really love the logo. It looks like a a combination between some kind of vessel on the water and also like a squid. Yeah, it's a it's a cuttlefish, but cuttle. Sorry, you got you got cephalopods. So cuttlefish are in the cephalopod family. So they've got basically squid, cuttlefish, and octopuses. All very very smart animals. It's interesting that you said you know you would caution entrepreneurs that it's very difficult to be a part time entrepreneur, which is a great uh, segue into my question, my advice question. Like, what advice would you give a brand new founder? My advice to a brand new founder is. Um, Basically, follow your passion. You know, if you're, if you're passionate about something, don't just sit on it. Figure out a way to do it. And, you know, nothing's going to happen unless you actually put, you know, throw yourself into that startup idea and start working on it. You can have all the best ideas in the world, but if you don't actually take the time to actually start to, you know, work on those ideas and transform those ideas into an implementation, you know, prototype or product. So, yeah, basically follow your passion. Life is surprisingly short. You don't know how much time you have, so don't wait too long. I think the, I think the entrepreneurs that uh, do that are the ones that will ultimately succeed. So yeah, follow your passion. The last question I have for you today is not exactly a question, but I want you to just share something that's on your mind. But keeping in mind that you know we're trying to put together here a documentary that will holistically and hopefully as honestly as possible tell the entire history of the Australian startup ecosystem, you know, to the best of our ability. We want people from all corners of the ecosystem to, to hear this story. What do you think people need to hear from you? What, what message do you have to share? The message I would like to share for 
entrepreneurs and potential entrepreneurs is make sure that you choose carefully and make sure that your choices have the right impact, the impact that you care about, the impact that makes a positive difference. And this is not just for nonprofits like Oz Ocean. I mean, obviously, Oz Ocean and other nonprofits, we're in the business of helping our oceans and delivering on positive environmental impacts. But I'm also of the view that regardless of whether you're a not for profit or for profit, you should be thinking about how your business and how your decisions uh, impacts on the world, whether it's impacts on the environment or impacts on people, impacts on social justice, impacts on the way that essentially people live. So yeah, choose. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like more entrepreneurs to be a bit less concerned about building the product and a little bit more concerned about how that product sits in the world and how that product hopefully improves people's lives and possibly also improves the world in general. So yeah, think about that. It's very easy for an entrepreneur, especially with all the pressures uh, that founders face. You know, oh, you know, I have to build the product, or I have to get funding, or I have to pay my employees. So it's, it's understandable that founders, entrepreneurs might lose track of some of these bigger issues, but I would be encouraging all entrepreneurs to be thinking broadly about the impact of their decisions, of their choices. Thank you so much for your time today, Alan. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> is, is there anything anything at all that you uh, wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about? I mean, I, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about Australia's tech future. I'm optimistic that Australians can continue to innovate and build world-leading businesses. And it is our future, and uh, there's no doubt about it. We, we can't be relying on resources indefinitely. And so it's, it's essential that we continue to invest in these new industries and those new industries are tech-based. So, but we've, we've come a long way in a, in a few years and I have every expectation that we'll continue to make great strides. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.